0: This is the Saturday to Sunday football podcast.
1: This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us is here.
0: And now, here's
1: your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday football podcast. I am Paul Pertichese and joined as always by Mr. Matt Caraccio. Matt, how's everything going, my friend?
2: Uh, very good. And I, and again, to everybody out there, I hope this finds each of you and your families safe, healthy and well and moving forward. And hopefully for the next hour or so, we can help take your mind into the world of fun things like football. And I am just tremendously excited, Paul, for our guests today, because again, I, th- it's one of those people that you and I have had discussions multiple times off air about. I don't think we're sitting here if we weren't inspired by this individual and the work that he's put out over the last many many years doing this um, it, it's it's something I always look forward to
1: absolutely and as Matt alluded to we are privileged to be joined once again by special guest this evening mr. Sigmund Bloom Sigmund welcome back to the Saturday to Sunday football podcast it's always good to be back
0: and I love doing the show with the two of y'all because from the moment that I discovered y'all's work I knew that the core of it was just a love of the work and a love of the game and a love of just Having your mind spark and, and learn things and engage with the world, which I think is just a reflection of probably how y'all you live your lives. So, this is always something I look forward to.
1: Absolutely, and we, we are always so excited to have you on. We joked with Waldman on our last episode that he joined us with that I think, you know, you and him, I think are jockeying at the top of the standings for most guest appearances on Saturday to Sunday over the years, and I think whoever happens to come on first takes the lead, then the right. other person ties up, and it goes back and forth, and And we're just so excited that every year we get to do this, usually almost two times a year, pre-draft, post-draft, with both of you. Uh, it's something that we definitely, truly cherish and enjoy, because it's such fu- We go so deep in, in the the conversations that we have are not the, the same old norm conversations that I think are always going on, and that's something I know Matt and I, you know, greatly appreciate it. So, so let's get this right into some prospect talk. Let's yes. let's enjoy the distraction from everything going on in in the real world right now. Let's start at the running back position because I think this year way more excitement level at the running back position than last year, and I know you know. The there seems to be a little bit of a disconnect between draft Twitter, fantasy Twitter, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. and the NFL. Draft Twitter, fantasy Twitter seem the consensus seems to be on Jonathan Taylor as the top running back in this class. The NFL world, he kind of doesn't seem like he's at the top. It seems more like DeAndre Swift, Clyde Edwards, Hilaire's getting some late buzz. I know you have some strong takes on DeAndre Swift, who I think, Matt, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Matt and I do have at the top of our running back ranks, but it is a very close-knit group near the top. So I'd love to hear your overall take on the running backs and then maybe yeah. get into you know who sits at the top of yours.
0: Right. And I think that where we have all kind of coalesced is a, agreeing on at least a top five. The order of the top five changes. And you know Zach Moss is in there but I think we can have a side discussion on him. But yeah, it's Swift, it's Dobbins, it's Edwards-Hilaire, it's Taylor, and Cam Akers. And I think that the interesting thing about Taylor, Taylor's a real easy, straightforward evaluation, right? I mean, there's not much to evaluating Taylor. I mean, he's got excellent vision, power, the long speed, but he's not for every team because he's questionable in terms of his contribution to the passing game. Which, as we've been watching the NFL, that becomes you know Christian McCaffrey just gets a big contract, right? Uh, it's a bigger part of of the value of a running back, right? I mean, it's just like um, defensive tackles that can take up two blockers and stuff the run, but can't generate pass rush. How do you value that player? Now, I'm not. It's not that um, striking because. Taylor can still affect a game more than a run-stuffing defensive tackle, but there's a hole in his game. Some of it's an unknown hole. I mean, he He's showing some acumen for uh, run, uh, receiving. As Matt Waldman pointed out, if he would just treat blitzers the way he treats oncoming tacklers, we wouldn't have a question about his pass blocking. But I think that he's not for every team, right? He's for a Tennessee. He's for a Seattle. You know, He's for these downhill running teams that are really built around their running back. I actually have... Still have Taylor second in fantasy terms because we've seen as long as he gets drafted to a team that is aligned with his strengths, even if he doesn't contribute much as a passing down back, we've seen what Derrick Henry can do when everything gets lined up. I have Edwards Hilaire first from a fantasy perspective. and I think he may be first from a football perspective just because of how well he fits in current spread offenses. And he's a good runner. He's not a liability as a runner. He's got excellent contact balance, and good enough long, I mean, sorry, good enough initial burst. Maybe he doesn't have long speed, but that's the most overrated thing in a running back as we're transitioning from Taylor to Edwards Hilaire. Um, Dobbins is another guy that's, it's, I mean, he's going to be, he's excellent at getting all those little extra yards, you know, and he's kind of fluid and flexible in a way, maybe reminiscent of, say, like, uh, Arian Foster. Um, he's, And he's a three-down back. What's exciting about this class is, other than Taylor, these guys are three-down backs. Akers is a three-down back. And Akers has a ceiling to match all of them. And I just love um, the intensity of Akers' cuts and his ability to burst through the hole and the way that he um, is, you know, again, the pass blocking. He can run routes, too, like Edward he You can split him out, detach from the formation. He can run routes. The reason I'm a little lower on Swift is I just don't necessarily see that calling card, although he does have a lot of strengths. He's really good around about low contact. He does have a second gear. He's a good receiver, although I don't know that he will translate as a route runner the way that Edwards Hilaire or uh, Akers might. Um, So he's not truly a power back, although he's got good size. Uh, So that's why I would put Swift fifth, but he's going to be drafted to be the guy for his team. And I think there's a distinct drop-off after that. And it's going to be really interesting to see. We probably won't see a running back go in the first round, but we may see a run in the second round. And there probably will be a team or two that we don't expect that takes one of these top five.
2: Well, I I think all those points are great. And you know what? Some of the things that stand out that you mentioned is going back to what you stated about Jonathan Taylor. I mean, it's not in any way devaluing who he is as a player. I think that you're looking for that versatility and it's hard to bet on what you haven't seen in its totality. I mean, we've seen him be able to do things outstandingly on interior runs, outside runs, but in terms of the, the way he's been leveraged hasn 't been the same as compared to all the other backs in this particular class, and you know talking about Clyde Edwards forlay going back to him i mean i am I, I have been a fanboy of him since probably his spring season of his sophomore year i mean he had a just a fantastic run of film um he didn 't see the usage that um we would have seen that we 've seen now, but he had just a fantastic run of film, and I think that one thing that you brought about. Uh, In your analysis that I really appreciate is the recognition that, you know, managing collisions isn't necessarily always the same for every player. Every player has their own unique kind of toolbox of effectivities, whether that's extremely great acceleration, outstanding, uh, you know, Dynamic stability or contact balance, or just an outstanding uh, ability to absorb contact and be able to power through it because of a strong lower body it It's not always the same for every player and i and i and I love how you kind of distinguish between all these players in terms of who they are differently while still maintaining the idea that we do have to make choices, we do have to kind of put some semblance of a of a ranking. And it seems to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, Sig, but it, yeah. but it seems to me that you really kind of were valuing um, a little bit of that skill in saying, hey, you know, I want the guy that can do the most. Obviously that's guy that's most versatile. That's pretty much what I'm saying, but, but you don't ignore skill within one area as being singularly valuable as well. Hence the Jonathan Taylor discussion. You know, I think Jonathan Taylor is probably the best interior runner in this class. And I don't even think it's close to be honest with you. Right. And I think that that means that, like you said, there are, there are environments, teams, ecosystems that work where he's just going to thrive. And I love that versatility that you brought to that analysis. So my only question is, as, as we kind of uh, as we kind of like maybe move to some other players or talk yeah. about this class a little bit more in depth, is is that if you had to kind of if you had to say which player, and this is a, a question that I've been thinking about uh, this season, and Paul and I have asked it to several analysts, is there? a player at the running back position that you think almost like a quarterback can bring about a change of identity Mm -hmm. in a team? Do you think that these running backs, is there a running back here that could end up being a signature player for a team's rebuilding process, thinking like Miami or something to that effect? Do you see a player like that, that will become the spine of that new organization or that identity for that new organization?
0: Taylor fits that description. Right, And it may not be wise. I mean, it's worked out for Tennessee when they finally got the quarterback and the offensive coordinator. So you have to always have alignment. So I could definitely see Taylor, especially if you see Taylor go in the first round. right? So here's an interesting scenario. Like Taylor goes to the Patriots in the first round, right? And Belichick starts getting all these maulers and you know, it's just, a, you know, they draft like Jake Fromm or something later on, like a structured quarterback who just runs the plays mm-hmm. as they're designed and things like that. So you could definitely see that. Um, and Edward Tilaire isn't necessarily going to change the direction of a team, but he might give a great indication of the direction of a team. I keep seeing him matched up with the Steelers. That makes me excited. That makes me really excited um the, you know the Steelers are a really interesting team to think about taking a running back in the second round so I think the because they're kind of opposite ends of the spectrum uh where their hot zones are and the kind of offense they would work in but of course we always ha- assume that teams are being rational right because <laughs> teams are going to draft players I was talking about this with Waldman on our show last week you know Waldman just points out like like two plus two equals four Cam Akers is is better with a lead blocker. But that doesn't mean the team that drafts him is going to see that or f- focus on that in his usage. And it's one of the re- reasons that we sometimes are baffled by players that we liked not doing well because they're not being used well. But as, since we're talking about running backs, by the way, I just want to take a quick step back because I know you all watch the tape with the jeweler's eye, not just watching it the individual player. I will say this, watching one position after another position this year, I noticed more than anything when watching the running backs and this is going to sound elementary, they need the most help for their talent to matter, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you watch all these other positions, and these guys don't need as much... You, you're you just watching... You can watch run after run after run of the top running backs, Swift and Dobbins and Taylor, and without help from their teammates, their talents are neutralized. They're nullified, right? They're, they're just So it's still a position that I think teams are going to break ties against, especially in this uncertain draft, and it's just interesting because it sets up these kinds of questions, like, do you take Jonathan Taylor in the second round, or maybe someone like AJ Dillon in the fourth or fifth round? Because if your team is set up to harness the talent of a downhill runner, then you just need someone who's sufficient, not necessarily somebody who's going to maximize that advantage. And I think this is something that teams are continuing to integrate. And I'm interested to see how fall, how far the running backs fall. Because I think teams are waking up to the idea of what we've been talking about. Not that running backs don't matter, but they need an environment, an ecosystems you said, to succeed in.
1: Yeah, I think what you said leads perfectly into my last question about those top five guys before we maybe pivot to a few of your other favorites in the class. Yeah. I don't remember a year. I guess you could make the case maybe to Leonard, uh, the to Leonard Fournette, Christian McCaffrey, Joe Mixon, and Davin Cook year. But even that year, there was four can you remember another year, I know you do the Bloom 100 yeah. before and after, that I've been on record as saying I could see any order post-draft of those rankings, if you're talking about a dynasty fantasy draft or dynasty rookie draft, Compared to your pre-draft rankings. Right. Do you agree? Like there's no Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley, we right. all knew. I mean, I guess if he landed in a horrific situation and Nick Chubb landed in the perfect, maybe that year. But more times than not, like Saquon Barkley was gonna be the first running back taken. Ezekiel Elliott, first running back taken. I think you can make the case any of the five based on landing spots, it can be rearranged. Do you you kind of see that scenario?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think also we're going to look at the environment as something you know, that either will help them underachieve or overachieve. You know, a class that comes to mind uh, it, when you say this, Paul, is the 2013 class. Because Giovanni Bernard, there's no running backs in the first round. Um, Giovanni Bernard was actually the first running back off of the board. But if you look through the second round... Le'Veon Bell went in the second round. Eddie Lacy went in the second round. Kristen Michael went in the second round. Monty Ball went in the second round. And I remember, you guys remember Jonathan Franklin? I love Jonathan Franklin. <laughs> I love, because they doubled up. Niall Davis went in the late third round. A lot of people loved Niall Davis. And even when we were doing rookie drafts, some people were taking ball, as the first rookie running back because of that Denver connection. Some people were taking Le'Veon Bell because they liked him. Some people were taking Johnny Bernard because he was the first running back off the board. And I think that that's the class that came to mind when you gave that description.
2: Well, you know what, and, and I'm going to kind of just leave this thought out there to kind of linger in this space of ecosystems and whatnot. We, we have to remember, and you kind of brought it up when you talked about rational coaching, and that's not to necessarily slight a coach or slight a particular organization, but it's rather to say is that sometimes we're not always thinking more holistically about the opportunities that the other personnel on our team create. And what they're capable of creating. So, you know, when you're thinking about who the best player is, it may not always be almost like an artist might paint the negative space of an object that surrounds it, thinking not about the object, but what is there around it. Mm-hmm. I don't think we're always necessarily thinking about that when we're thinking about maybe team construction. You know, these, the, these players on my team have strengths and weaknesses that create certain opportunities. How can we begin to exploit those opportunities and what player can we bring in? That was best suited to exploit those opportunities. And I, and I think that that's, that is like, I, I, that is very, yes, it makes sense when we say it, but I, I don't know when you talk about the, you know, socioeconomic pressures of having your job on the line all the time, wins and losses, if that's always the kind of methodology that they want to take, because it's like, I got to be able to explain it. So i mean yep. it's it's fascinating yep. it's it's fascinating, so Paul, I know Paul, you had a couple of things that you wanted to go forward with, so I just wanted to leave that out there because I do think that there's a lot of merit when you start thinking about the success of a player you think from the team to the player and not from the player to the team
1: yeah, absolutely I think that's that's really interesting points that you brought up and and less running back question for you sig, yeah, who would be some of your guys that not necessarily maybe next in your rankings because I, I don't know if the consensus I know the consensus out there for most people a lot of people have Zach Moss next or AJ Dillon sure. Darrington Evans who are some of your guys at the running back position you know maybe you know maybe they're mm-hmm. next up in your actual ranking order but or maybe they're guys that you're just a little bit higher on than the consensus are there a couple other guys that you're really intrigued by that you think if they lend the right situation most likely on day three I think the rest of the guys we're talking about maybe somebody sneaks in late round three but is there anybody else that you really have your eye on in terms of where they land that you can really have your uh, interest peaked?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think I'll start off by bringing up, and I'm not bringing up these guys as my guys, but I'm bringing them up and I really, because the draft's almost here. Yeah, it's like <laughs> Nine days away, and I love thinking of these things in terms of either or. And I think that the good teams are thinking of it in terms of either or. If we get, we can get this element in this round with this player, or perhaps a few rounds later, we might get a similar element. And I think of Anthony McFarland and Darrington Evans as in the more visible home run backs. Maybe they're going to be third round picks. I mean, I think these could be your classic rookies that get reached for in dynasty rookie drafts because they go higher because they're speed backs. But even on McFarlane's own team, I think Javon Leak might translate better. And I, th- I think that when I watch Javon Leak and Anthony McFarlane, Anthony McF- they're both really fast, okay? They both have legitimate breakaway speed. But Anthony McFarlane prefers to outrun everyone to the corner, which he was able to do easily, especially in the Big Ten. He was able to do that. Whereas Javon Leak, I like as a guy who more naturally takes a north-south path, a more efficient path, and they and I see Javon Leak forcing guys to take bad angles, not just because of his speed, but because he's attacking a he's seeing a crease. And these guys just are too slow to turn and run and get him where Anthony McFarlane is classically winning that foot race to the edge. And I just don't think that translates as well to the NFL in that same vein. um, You have Darrington Evans, the small school guy. I like Pete Guerrero out of Monmouth. And I think that uh, Waldman has brought up Philip Lindsay as a name to attach to him because you see some of the vision too. I think Guerrero can have a similar impact to evans and then a London name that i think is really obs- more obscure in this class in terms of the big play running back is reggie corbin out of illinois and he has the combination of that juice in it, his lateral agility small area quicks and he has some long speed so i like these guys as players that you mix in five seven plays a game maybe you remember anton smith but he did that one year with the Falcons. I like these guys not so much for fantasy, but for a team taking them on the sixth round, seventh round, and getting a, those game-breaking plays if they set them up right.
1: Yeah, we've been talking about Corbin since the summer, and I'm not sure why no one's
2: talking about it. I don't know. It's, it's <laughs> fascinating to me. Like I, I actually really forgot <laughs> until you said it again. Like, <laughs> me and Paul are like sitting here going, you're "Like you're like, yeah, yeah like
1: like we really liked him in the summer and i you watch it down and if you're just checking off boxes of traits like there's one after another that you really like he doesn't seem to be getting much attention so i hope for his sakes he ends up on a good practice squad he's gonna i would i would be stunned at this point if he's drafted just because the 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 zero amount of of talking about him but he's gonna be one of those guys that i'm very intrigued to see where he lands and i think if i remember correctly the practice squads are expanding so i think he'll have a better opportunity to to stick around, and I hope one day he sees an opportunity, because there's a lot I like about him. Matt, thoughts on on Pip, on either Corbin, and then maybe take this to wide receivers?
2: No, I mean, you just captured the joy that I just had in that moment, <laughs> in that one statement, so I mean, I can't really add anything to that spectacular monologue you just put on, but I will say this, though, and it's something interesting to, to put out there into the industry. I mean, also as as our, let's say our fantasy base of players continues to replenish with new, uh, new players. Um, there's also the players that I guess we could all call ourselves maybe veteran. We're starting to have deeper rosters. And as we start to have more and more deeper rosters, I think the players that you mentioned Sigmund, honestly, I think they, they kind of fall into that category of like when Boston Scott was traded to Philadelphia and what he did there. And these are the guys you need on the radar because if they go to a situation where they're getting you 10 points a game, well then that's, that's valuable, especially when injuries can be inflicted. So, I mean, I think that from a, from a, from the fantasy standpoint, these players could have tremendous value more than they did in the past. As we start to expand rosters, explore interesting scoring categories and the what. So I, I think those are great names. And that's why, as we kind of pivot to the wide receiver position, again, uh equally decorated in terms of the types of players that are getting you know uh kind of the publicity here i guess we got to start at the top just to do our due diligence and at sure. least at least talk about judy and lamb and say and say this are they your one and two in any order and if not is there any surprises or players that you think really belong there that we're not talking enough about
0: No, they're one and two and just really <laughs> quickly to piggyback on your point matt It's the week 13, 14, 15 waiver wires when teams are down to starting running backs that were third on the depth chart or maybe even not on the depth chart that this deep rookie scouting that we do can come back to help except when we tell you to play Mike Boone in week 16. Uh, (laughs) I think we all – I think we all had – I started Mike Boone. I did. I did too. I I lost and I lost because of it. I lost because of it. Okay. We don't need to revisit that pain. That we're trying to keep this happy, right? No, um, no, no. Yes. And right. look, Lamb and Judy are the clear one and two. I mean, from an NFL tactical value standpoint, you have to include Henry Ruggs, uh, but we can start playing that game with Henry Ruggs that we did with McFarland and Evans, right? Well, you can take Henry Ruggs in the first round, or you could get Devin Duvernay in the third or fourth round, you know, something like that. Or if you want to dabble in some character issues like Jeff Thomas or something. But my point is, so I understand why a team might take Henry Ruggs over Judy or Lamb. Because the speed that Ruggs offers gives you a very discreet tactical value that you can plug in. So we're talking about Jonathan Taylor, you know, and you could see a team like Philadelphia having him number one on their board or something like that. Anyway, Judy and Lamb are one and two because it's just so easy. To, they're You're not squinting and saying, well, if this and if you can build on this and if you can coach up this. You you see a fully formed, fully realized NFL wide receiver prospect, and seeing that at this point in their careers portends big things, right? Because they're not just trait-based prospects, or they're not trait-based prospects with one or two skills that you then build on. They have a trait-skill marriage that's going to work. Now, I have Lamb over Judy, and that's not to take anything away from Judy, but I just think Judy has a more limited application in the NFL. What Judy has going for him is he can separate like nobody's business. And I think in timing-based pass offenses, he's going to be the guy. I think if the Raiders, like, if they want to continue around Carr, or even he would work with Mariota, you know, just get open, get to the spot at this time, and it's going to make our offense go Judy's your guy. Now, Judy is not particularly imposing in any facet of his game. Um, Neither is lamb athletically, but what's exciting about lamb is you can do so much with him, right? He's the best wide receiver in this class after the catch. I've made that comparison to like a world war II fighter pilot, right? Like, eh, like he's going through this traffic, like he's fearless and he finds paths through traffic I don't know how he even visualizes this. Lamb and Judy, another thing I want to um, draw a connection between the two of them, and I know you all are going to like this. I love players that are always playing with intent, right? Every move, this fits into your problem-solving paradigm, Matt. Everything Judy and Lamb does is full of intent. And, And they both actually play with, I mean, Judy's breaks and his routes can be a little violent or sudden just because they create some separation, but they generally play with quiet bodies, right? They're not making a lot of exaggerated movements. There's not a lot of wasted kinetic energy. They're applying their knowledge, their skills, their physical abilities to beat their guy in whatever the aspect of the game they're dealing with is. So, again, they're fully realized, very mature players. But with Lamb, I think you see someone who can maybe do better winning in the air. I think with Lamb, I see somebody who, even though his route running is kind of unorthodox, that he understands how to get in the head of his opponent in different ways than Judy. Judy's like, like textbook, right? Like you, Judy reminds me of evaluating DeAndre Hopkins when he was at Clemson. But Judy isn't the crazy high-wire act up in the air that Hopkins is where it's just his ability to create separation is like every route stems the same. And the defensive back is basically like a, it's like a pitcher who can their change up in their fastball or the arm motion is so indistinguishable that you're just reduced to guessing. That's what Judy does to his guys. Uh, but lamb, I just see all these different little things that he can do. And I see a guy who can add value in lots of little ways. I you know I'm reminded of Heinz Ward at times. I see a toughness, a ruggedness to his game. Where with Judy, I think where his value is gonna come is separating and making the catch and you know, contorting and making catches, but he's not necessarily gonna add a lot after the catch. He's not going to be somebody who creates that surprise chunk play. He's just going to get open and catch it, get open and catch it, get open and catch it. And that to a certain offense might have more value. But for me, for fantasy especially, I'll take Lamb.
2: Well, I mean, I, I know that you, you brought up that, that idea of the moving with intent. And this is where I, I say very clearly, I, I really believe this is where we can begin to unpack, you know, the things that we say we, we can't really see well, you can begin to see because the movement is the answer. The answer is what they're doing. It's right. not anything more decorated than that. What are they thinking? Well, you're watching them move. That's what <laughs> yeah. they're thinking. So, I mean, and I think when, when you come to that, I mean, I was asked recently, um, you know, who I thought the best mover in the class was like, who did I think could move the best or who did I think was most coupled to kind of the moment out of every player? And, and I was hard pressed to move past Judy. I thought Judy is one of the most well-connected to the moment players that there is in this class in terms of if the surroundings and the problems are changing, he's one of those guys that I believe he's right lockstep with understanding what opportunities are available and those that are not. And I think that's what makes him such an interesting player and why he can separate and why he can separate. That's why, because of those things. So I, I think that was just a fantastic point.
1: Yeah, let me jump in right there. I love the talk on Judy and Lamb, but I want to, I want to move forward and bring up a couple other guys that Mm -hmm. I think there's a little bit of a disconnect between maybe what the NFL thinks. And then again, what the draft and fantasy Twitter community think of T Higgins and Brandon Ayuk, two very different players Uh, on the T Higgins front, obviously didn't really run that well. The people, the analytical people and, and the draft Twitter community seem very down on him because we have seen some guys over recent years with his athletic profile not translate. The Laquan Treadwells of the world, other guys that we thought were going to go higher went lower. But I think the argument can be made. Well, yeah, for every one of those guys, there, what about a guy like Allen Robinson or what about a guy like Kenny Galladay, who I can think I can see T. Higgins being comparable to them? Mm-hmm. He's still popping up in in round one mocks. You know, late in round one on Daniel Jeremiah and and Mel Kuiper and some other people's, but most of the draft Twitter community seems much lower on him. And then same thing with Brandon Ayuk. People seem to be a little bit lower on him, I think on Twitter, because he was a Juco transfer. He didn't have the, you know, the big market share numbers or breakout age because, you know, he played behind Nikhil Harry last year. But again, he, you see him in a lot of late round one, you know, mock drafts. Now he's coming off, I think it was a core muscle injury surgery. So I'm not sure if that knocks him down, you know, the lack of medicals, rechecks and stuff right now. But where are you on those two players in terms of the big picture at the wide receiver landscape?
0: Yeah, just really quickly to add a little postscript to your point, Matt. I will say Judy, in uh, your idea of Judy in connection to the moment, it, that he, and this is something that I think we have a long way to go as evaluators, as having a column in our wide receiver evaluations in playing outside of structure. We have a massive column for that for quarterbacks, but we don't spend as much time on that for wide receivers and Judy really was in tune with, with the action around him to be the most effective in effective, not most effective in this class. Okay. Higgins and Higgins, you know, you don't, you feel like Higgins like 10 years ago would have been an easy first round pick, right? Like the taste the NFL had in wide receivers back then, because he's long and he has enough speed. See, when we talk about these tall, long receivers, we don't necessarily talk about how high their high end speed is. If it's just enough, like four or five, four even, you know, four, five, five, for their to combine with their size to be a headache for cornerbacks. And Higgins has that, and he has some acceleration. And, you know, he does. He isn't a one speed. This is why I didn't like Arthago Whiteside last year. Because Higgins is not a one-speed receiver. You know, he has some acceleration off the line, and he has some extra acceleration. I think that he does okay with his releases. I love when I see a receiver have his hands and feet work in synchronicity uh, with his release, and I see some of that with Higgins because he's going to have to be an outside receiver. The thing that you love about Higgins is, and he also, for a big receiver, is fluid. You know, he's not as linear as some of the other big receivers, say like Brian Edwards, who I think is a more linear athlete uh, in a big frame with maybe about the same straight line speed, but Higgins concentration and ability to pull in balls, um, it, his catch radius, like it's a concentration combined with catch radius that can just be breathtaking sometimes. But again, you've got to pair him up with the right quarterback, right? You know, put him with, uh, uh Aaron Rodgers. you put him with a quarterback who likes back shoulder throws, a quarterback who likes to make aspirational 50, 50 throws. Higgins is going to pop. Um, and Ayuk, I think, is different. And I think Ayuk especially fits with a certain kind of receiver we have in the second tier. Because one of the things that separates this group from previous groups when people say this is one of the best wide receiver classes is that second tier has seven or eight players that all have good NFL starter ceilings, but some of them have very low floors, or at the very least, they have a limited application, right? Because I think that we can just discern from... um inference the nfl values outside receivers more than slot receivers or put another way there are a lot more guys who can contribute in the slot than outside it's just the nature of nfl outside cornerback play it's the nature of getting that two-way go and that uh, clean release and i think with Ayuk, you have to wonder and he's not by far not the only one in this class whether you're gonna have to massage his role because that's another thing about judy and lamb right like where can you line him up in the formation wherever you want you know what I mean? You can put them anywhere you want in the formation. And this is this also comes to mind when we think of Justin Jefferson. That's why it's not going to be for every team. Because how much is a player worth that can only contribute in a certain role, and then do they add value over other players in the NFL who can contribute in that same role? So I think Ayuk and the idea of him getting off of press coverage, um, I think you know consistency. Some of the same questions I have about Jalen Rager, right? like consistency is a big deal. That's another reason you have to love Lamb and Judy because it's just what you see. You almost get lulled into like hypnosis watching them play because it's just so consistent and so precise. Um, And then when you don't see that, it stands out a little bit more. So I think in both cases, and in a case for all of these second-tier receivers, it's just going to depend on where they land and whether they're used in a way that aligns with their strengths in terms of skills and allows their traits to add value.
2: Yeah. And you know, the thing that really intrigues me about the commentary that you just brought up is, is one of the reasons why I'm just so, you know, profoundly adamant. And you know, you and I have had several discussions on the side about, you know, looking at, you know, players through this kind of lens of what they can do on the field, the problems they can solve and whatnot. It's fascinating to me why we we kind of don't begin to work evaluations backwards from what is needed from the position. And then let's go ahead and slot players inappropriately as opposed to here are these players with these outstanding things. But whether or not these things will coalesce into being able to do anything on the NFL level is still yet to be seen. But if we it, it almost makes me feel like I want to go back more this year as sort of like a um, as sort of like a, an extra extra professional development period for myself <laughs> and really and really begin to say, you know what, I want to go ahead and really look at the. NFL game again and really start thinking more holistically about the positional problems that each of these guys is expected to solve and really kind of become that making that more of the framework to work the evaluations moving forward because you're right how can you begin to tag somebody with everything when they haven't shown everything on the field in college in situations that are NFL representative. You, you, you can't, I mean, you just can't, you can't say Jalen Rieger is going to be able to do everything when he hasn't been confronted with everything. So how, how can we begin to say those things? And it's listen, I know that we live in the world of having to make some, some level of prognostication, a little bit of some figuring it out and making some you know general thoughts, but it, it just, you, you kind of hit on the main point of why We have to begin to think more holistically in order to be able to tease out which players are going to be in front of whom. Yeah, It was like Bill Belichick said, it's hard to uh, scout college wide receivers. You know, I mean, just, but they—they they for sure, yeah, for sure, I mean, they're having some challenges. But I mean, it's, you know, it's—it's it's
0: just difficult to know how it's—it's it's, it's really easy in college to take a guy like LaVisca Chenault, right? Like just a big, imposing mofo with the ball in his hands, and and make him work in college. It's a lot harder to do that in the NFL. And I, I do think what's interesting about this, too, where you said, Matt, about going back and professional development and just looking at the NFL game again, I do think we're getting into – you all remember when running back by committee hit, like in the mid-aughts, and teams started segmenting the running back role – um, led by you know the Patriots, of course, and other teams, and segmenting out the role and saying, instead of having one guy to do all of these things, we're going to have a handful of guys who have different discrete strengths. And even though there's this idea about tipping off plays and things like that, oh, when this running back's on the field, you know what's coming. It's better to ask a guy to do what he's good at. And I think we're seeing more of that in wide receivers. I think we're going to see more three wide sets, even four wide sets. And I think you're going to see if teams are rational about these players, hot zones and cold zones. Some of these players, especially for fantasy, because what do we care about the numbers, right? Really clicking in terms of numbers. Um, but not every team is going to be like that.
1: Yeah, for sure. And this part receiver receiver close, what makes it so fascinating is I think most have Judy and lamb at the top. You, you know, rugs is such a unique element and wild card that he's near most people's top fives. We talked about some of the other guys, same question. We, we finished a running back group with mm-hmm. before, Give me some names, whether they're day two guys or day three guys that really have your interest peaked. Well, maybe you're higher on them than some, but just some guys that, that, that really you've taken a liking to that could be in that massive group of guys that, you know, there's been Daniel Jeremiah and Mel Kuyper right. saying there could be 15 to 25. You know, I know I'm working on my draft projections notebook. I'm, I'm right now in that. 15 to 16 range i think where i'm going to settle in in terms of guys who go in the first three rounds are there some other day two guys and maybe one or two day three guys that that you are uh, pretty much maybe a bigger fan on than maybe the
0: most i i like devin duvernay um i mentioned him already i like him better than kj hamler you know i mean if i was looking for that kind of element added to my offense i think he may be able to do a little bit more than kj hamler um, I like Quintez Cephas. I know that that's not... That's, so quick, guys like Quintez Cephas and Jawan Jennings are interesting because they lack the NFL desired threshold for straight-line speed at receiver, but all the things that you need in your game, right? So if you were to sell a story and say, well, if a 4-7 wide receiver is going to make it the NFL, he better do this, he better do this, he better do this. Jennings and Cephas do those things. So they're going to be really interesting, and you know the other thing that I think the deep thinkers like us really love is that it's like a Rorschach inkblot test to see which teams take these guys. Like I, I just want to know what team is going to look at Quintez Cephas and compare him to some of the other receivers who have more NFL-ready physical traits and say, we would rather have Zephas because of his game at the catch point and things like that. Um, Van Jefferson comes to mind. I think people are warming to Van Jefferson. He's the discount Justin Jefferson. If you want what Justin Jefferson can do but you don't get Justin Jefferson, take Van Jefferson. Um, Getting a little bit later, I love Isaiah Coulter from Rhode Island. I mean, this reminds me, like, back when I started doing this 15 years ago, putting together Bloom 100 and just wanting, like, the more obscure the player was, the more I wanted to get to know their game, right? Um, you love seeing that ceiling. You love seeing that player. It's like, well, there's a few steps from here to there. So teams are going to be taking wide receivers like that in the second round. Coulter's going to be there on the third day, and I think that give it two or three years, he could be just as good as these guys. I probably brought up Jeff Thomas as a player that – I know there's character issues and things like that, but what he offers in terms of vertical ability and speed and quickness um, – you know, so again, some of the the lunch pail guys, right? Kalijah Lipscomb, Courtney Davis. I think these skill guys are interesting. And then on the other end of the spectrum, somebody like Darnell Mooney that you watch and you just see like oozing athleticism. I don't know if it's ever going to matter in the NFL, but I like taking that guy in a sixth or seventh round. Um, and I got to mention a Tulane player because I'm down here in New Orleans. You know, Quez Watkins, Southern Miss comes to mind too. as someone where you just see like. Wow, I don't know if we're ever going to be able to make that matter on the NFL field, but there's some sort of natural athletic gifts that can matter. So that's what's fun about this class is everybody's going to have different names at the end of their list and uh, just goes on for miles and miles.
1: Yeah, and I think what's going to be fascinating is when, when we all go to bed Friday night after day two at a draft, we are going to be blown away with yeah. a list of wide receiver names that are still available that in traditional years would be luck. Top 100 picks, but they're going to go. There's going to be names that go in the fourth round, the fifth round. Like, I mean, think about when the year started, Colin Johnson was looked at as a top 100 lock. He's probably going round five now. Like if you listen to the TV leads, names that people don't even know, like Tristan Jackson from Syracuse, he's got a lot of love in the NFL circles, Quez Watkins, Mm -hmm. guys that are not even being remotely talked about in the fantasy and draft Twitter community that the NFL is very high on. So there's going to be so many intriguing names donovan people's jones a guy that matt and i have a liking to he might not go in the top 100 even devin duvernay i think he should go in the top 100 right. but i think it's very possible that he's sitting there in the beginning of round four i'll give
0: you so, another one real quick Jawan johnson was an eric galco's first round when he was at penn state two years ago
2: Matt, so, Matt's heart is fluttering right now. Well, I, I mean, I, I had him two years ago as my preseason number two overall wide receiver. Um, he was number two overall wide receiver, and it, and again, it's just listen. His career is obviously his trajectory is totally, totally all over the place, and he'll never right. see the light of those rounds. But, but that just goes to show the depth, and it goes to show how interesting, how interested teams are. To fill out that wide receiver JEP chart and to your point uh, segment about the Rorschach test, I think this is now becoming more and more frequent where we're going to see sixth and seventh round or fifth round wide receivers that are potentially going to end up being fantasy rostered because they're looking for the ones that fit with their team. Who fits with my quarterback? And I think they're more interested about exploring the depths of their draft. Yes. And
0: this year, more than ever, teams are going to feel comfortable kicking the can of wide receiver down the road another round. And they're so you're really going to see teams do that, like take the tank to E and feel like well, we have a need here, but we can get satisfy this on the third day because we know there's just too many names. How many wide receivers were at the Combine this year? Fifty five. <laughs> 55? I mean, it was ridiculous. So yeah, it's fun. It's a really fun group and it's going to be a fun group to track.
1: And what's crazy is last year was the least amount of wide receivers I think drafted in quite some time it was like only in like the low to mid 20s yeah. and there were some names last year people were surprised didn't get taken this year I, I'd be stunned if we don't have somewhere in the 35 to 40 range taken and that's still going to leave plenty of really good ones and talented ones as UDFA prospects yeah. which is going to be crazy I mean one final note about Jawan Johnson Gil Brandt had him as one of his top senior wide receivers entering this college mm-hmm. football season so he he is thought of well. I mean, Gil, you know, even at his age, is still one of the most connected in the industry. Mm-hmm. So he, he wasn't getting that from, he was getting that from people in the know. So it just kind of tells you, and he's probably a guy who's locked into round six or round seven, but he could add a different element. You know, the Giants for sure need a, a bigger wide receiver. They, they're, they're out there putting a bunch of five foot 10 guys. So he could add some size. You know, those are the type of guys that I, I could see teams needing that type of guy, maybe targeting a guy like Juwan Johnson late in the, in the draft this year. Let's pivot to tight ends. And mm. I'm not even going to bring up any names. I'm just going to give right. you the floor in a minute because mm-hmm. there is no consensus. I mean, you hear Cole Komet and and maybe Adam Trappman is what the NFL's thinking. I don't know if that's locked in. Maybe Cole Komet is, but you have the Bryant brothers, not that they're really brothers, but Hunter sure. and Harrison Bryant. You know, you got Devin Asiasi, you got, you know, Albert Okuwebenam. You have, you know, the list, you know, uh, Randy Moss's son, Thaddeus yeah. Moss. You know, there's so many names. This is such a hard position. I mean, a year ago, we were talking about Irv Smith and TJ Hodgson right. and, and Noah Fan, and even those guys struggle to transition. I think it makes you appreciate just how impressive a couple years ago Evan Ingram's rookie season was because it's, it's not, it's very hard to transition in the NFL at the tight end position. It sometimes takes years. It sometimes takes second contracts. What do you make of this position, and who are a couple names that intrigue you the most right. without knowing opportunity, landing mm-hmm. spot, and depth chart? It's, a,
0: it's not a good class. It's not a good class. I mean, it's just not. It's, it's worse than the Henry Hooper class. And the Henry Hooper class lacked that signature headliner guy. But that doesn't mean that we— It's funny, twice in the last week I've seen a national writer raise the possibility of New England taking a tight end in the first round. One, um, it was I think um, Peter King said Cole Met and Peter Schrager brought up Harrison. He <laughs> mocked Harrison Bryant to them. And the funny thing is, when we do the Bill Belichick like simulation, um,
2: uh, you <laughs> I'm know, sorry. i sorry, I'm loving now. That. I, know. It's so true. I know,
0: What's funny is too that was it um, um, was it John Boys the uh, who did the the Bill Belichick off season simulator. It was, it was wonderful, <laughs> folks. Yeah. If you don't know it, look it up. The Bill Belichick off season simulator is fantastic. You know, it actually makes sense that Bill Belichick would take a player like Cole Komet or Harrison Bryant in the first round. And, and I'm because I have that fantasy lens on, I just sweep these guys aside pretty quickly. But the reality is that Cole Komet and Harrison Bryant are skilled players. They're players that I think won't have as much trouble getting over that hill that you talked about, Paul, because like, we were still waiting for David and Joku, you know, getting over that hill. Of because it's a tough position. The injury rate's really high. It's a position that is just a meat grinder. Physically, you're learning two positions. And then Cole Komet and Harrison Bryant are going to contribute early in their careers. And even for fantasy, they may get into the top 12 tight ends in the right spot because it's a low bar. But athletically, as far as what they can add in terms of winning balls that they shouldn't be able to win or um, adding value after the catch with elusiveness, creativity, or speed... In NFL terms, you, know, you just don't see it. Uh, so they're limited prospects, but again, the NFL likes these straightforward evaluations, competitive toughness, skill, versatility. I think Bryant and Komet offer those things. Trotman's the most exciting, but he's an unknown because of the translation. And you see the speed, you see the ability to win above the rim, you see some of those things. And you see him standing out, right? When you watch someone playing at Dayton, you want to see them really stand out. He does. But there's a long way from here to there in terms of his translation. Um, you brought up Alberto from Missouri, and this he's going to be an interesting one because, you know, athletically, the size speed combination. Ooh, but we watch him play, and you think, oh, oh. you know, I don't know about the football player in there it's like giving someone a sports car that you know is a 13 year old that hasn't even learned how to drive yet or something you know where it's like sure car can pop out at 200 miles per hour but is that going to matter um i'd like you know i mean hunter bryant is interesting just because he offers some vertical ability i think some speed to the position bryson hopkins From a strictly receiving standpoint, out of Purdue might be one of the more refined guys who can step in there. Devin Asiasi is probably the most intriguing in terms of you could see him flaming out, see him head and shoulders from a fantasy productivity standpoint, be the best guy in this class, right? Like he needs to land with the right position coach or maybe the right mentor, the right veteran who shows him, come on, pup. You know, this is, you're on the, with the big dogs now, and I'm going to show you how to become what you can really become. Now, whether it'll sink in for not or not, it's yet to be seen. But when you watch a CSC, you just see a guy who is going to be a pro. He's, he's, he plays bigger than his size. He just is so imposing Uh, after the catch. He's imposing at the catch point. He's athletic. He's a late bloomer. Um, You know, he doesn't offer much as a blocker. I think that he's not necessarily a player that, I mean, again, like I could see him cut two years into his rookie contract, or I could see him being the most successful tight end in this class. But the reality is there may not be, or I don't know if there, I don't think there will necessarily be an impact tight end from this class, but it doesn't mean the NFL won't take them as if they will be. Right? Because at tight end, they everyone's run two tight ends. You're seeing guys like whatever, Jesse James, Tyler Croft. These guys are getting paid six million dollars. They're getting Austin Eckler money, right? <laughs> you know, this shows you positional value in the NFL, where Jesse James and Austin Eckler are getting the same average year per year on their contract. So you're gonna see in fantasy rookie drafts, because it's a second round tight end like Drew Sample, because it's a second round tight end or a third round tight end, people are gonna throw draft picks after them in rookie drafts, but I just think that the whole class is going to get inflated because of the lack of supply but no lack of demand.
2: Yeah, and and the only point I'd add to that is that is that you're 100% right, and I think it has to do with that position being what it is, which is really a dual role on a team being both a blocker and a receiver. And that has always been one of the biggest kind of mountains and obstacles for that player to make a connection at the next level. And for me, you know, I'm right there with you. I, I you know, coming out of high school, Cole Komet and Asi were were guys that were rather highly regarded. And they just, you know, kind of went to teams, specifically with Devin, you know, went to a team where it didn't, It didn't really materialize until later. And then with Cole, it was, is he going to play baseball? Is he going to play, is he going to play football? And was that going to happen? Um, but those players offer intrigue because the fact that they look like they're ready to step in and be able to compete in both, uh, both roles that'll be asked of them at the next level. I'm telling you right now, and I'm, I'm going to throw my, my late round rookie money on, um, the the I guess the boom or bust potential of the player that you mentioned earlier, which is Albert Okwebenom. Yeah. I mean, I like you said. I mean, if he ends up being, I mean, we're already talking about Chase Claypool, and he might be a tight end. And if Chase Claypool goes in his of tight course. end, what do you think? What do you think, Singan? He goes yes. in. What do you think? What do you think? He becomes a, he becomes a tight end. He be, I'm yeah. thinking he's number one. I'm and I, Bob McGinn.
0: Bob McGinn, who does his excellent Scout series, just released the first installment of... Everyone should know that Athletic is free. I don't know if it's not 90 days now because it was at the beginning of, of quarantine, but you, you check out... I mean, Athletic's fantastic. All the work there is top-notch, and he's doing his Scout series there, and they, they listed Claypool as a tight end, and I think it makes sense. You know, We've already brought up the name Evan Ingram during the show. Chase Claypool can do an impression of Evan Ingram. I think Juwan Johnson might be able to, too. You know, um, sure <laughs> I know, I know, this is too much excitement for me know, in one show. I can't handle it. So, if it's Chase Claypool, absolutely. Chase, so I like Chase Claypool, the tight end, so much more than Chase Claypool, the wide receiver, right? It's just as simple as thinking of what Chase Claypool's hot zones are. And are, is that going to be better against an NFL outside corner with length and speed and a guy who knows how to thwart and reroute and just be a pain in the ass or is it going to be better with a clean release from the slot lined up against a, a linebacker who has to turn and run with him or a safety who has to somehow summon up the ball skills and, and the ability at the catch point to be a formidable match for him you know i just think i watched chase claypool play and i think nfl corners are going to know what to do with him you know like again let's like our white side he's a monotone route runner he, while he can elevate and win above the rim because he's just so damn big, he isn't, you know, a magician at the catch point or anything like that. And I just don't think there's much nuance to his game where they're like NFL corners, good NFL outside corners are just going to know what to do with him and make him neutralized. But NFL linebackers and safeties are going to have a problem with him. So I think that it was real telling that McGinn put him as the number three tight end and I would have him as the number one tight end. And I think that. I very, when Chase Claypool's name gets announced, I'm going to be so interested in what position they announce him at. Cause that's going to be the difference between like number 20 in my rookie rankings and number 45.
1: Yes, the fantasy community will be on the edge of their seat for that. (laughs) The NFL community, not so much, but the fantasy community, and especially, especially the fantasy communities that do their rookie drafts right after the NFL draft, which there's a lot, there's a lot of people out there. Most of mine, yeah, yeah. So that's going to be fascinating, and it'll be interesting to see how quickly you know whatever platform a lot of people use my fantasy league, how quickly they may update something if if the, he is announced as tight end, it will really change, change the landscape. So as we close in here, we got about five, 10 minutes left. Sig, we got to mm-hmm. ask you about a quarterback. I have sure. two questions that, that I'd love to to hear your, your take on. The first one is, Over the last two years, we've had quarterbacks that have had not a lot of support out there in the community, and a lot of it's been based on their minimal college production. And I think most people with a fair and unbiased take would say Josh Allen and Daniel Jones have probably outperformed what the expectations as a whole was from the consensus draft, Twitter, fancy Twitter community. I know you were pro Josh Allen, like Matt and I here. I know you, we all as a, as collectively were also a little bit suspect about Daniel Jones last year, prior to seeing him in the NFL. Where do you stand on, on Jordan love? Cause I think yes. he's this year's question, similar to Josh Allen and Daniel Jones, the last two years from the lack of support, the inconsistencies right. And then nobody, I think, in the industry has taken a stronger stance the last couple of years than you about uh, Lamar Jackson and about Kyler Murray aggressively having them ranked high, even in one quarterback type settings. Is there anybody without knowing landing spots. And when we have you back mm-hmm. on, hopefully, post-draft, you, we'll have a better sense. But is there sure. anybody pre-draft that you have that tingling sensation? Is it another dual threat guy like maybe Jalen Hurts or right. somebody else that you might have that strong stance on again, like you've had with Lamar Jackson and, and Kyler Murray the last two years?
0: So first on Love. And I, Baldwin and I had a conversation about Jordan Love like two weeks ago uh, on our show, and I think that he nailed it. And I know you all are going to love this. And I'm going to bring a big smile to your face, right? Because what's the name everyone wants to bring up with Jordan Love? The aspirational name. Patrick Mahomes. 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 Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes. And doesn't it just make sense that the teams that miss-scouted Patrick Mahomes and had him way too low on their board are going to do the exact wrong thing and pendulum swing back and say, well, Jordan Love has those same things and they're going to overrate Love right because if you don't know why you were wrong it's just going to lead you to be wrong again and because jordan love I me mean, absolutely i mean you know, the traits like the, the is the and there is some connection to Josh Allen here where you could take a, a package of 10 or 15 plays and say, how many quarterbacks can do this? How many quarterbacks can do this? Now, I'm a Josh Allen apologist, although to be fair, some of the same things that Josh Allen had as a problem. Wyoming have surfaced surface in the NFL and that he just tries to do too much and he doesn't play with an inner calm. Again, that idea of intent, you can see that he presses and that it skews his decision making. But with Jordan Love, it goes into the idea of because at least with Josh Allen, when you watch that, you'd say, well, they're down 14 points to a a superior team and he doesn't have much to work with. So, of course, he's going to put it all on his shoulders. And some of the things he's doing are just, you know like that last futile battle as the enemy's about to break down your lines and, and, you know, overtake your castle. And he's just doing the last gasp. But with Jordan love, there are just decisions that he makes that if you reverse engineer it and you think, how can we rewire him so that he doesn't do this against much, much, much tougher competition. It's difficult. It's difficult. There's a, there's a, a big risk there with Jordan love And hopefully he's in the incubator for a couple of years, but I'm not necessarily going to go to the mat for Jordan love the way I did for Josh Allen. Um, But I think bringing up Daniel Jones is instructive because there's that mental element that we can never totally isolate. And look, the league seems to like Jordan love. I continue to hear people that I trust say that some teams have love ahead of Herbert and I'm not a huge Herbert fan either, but I mean just players that it might be surprising to see. So I won't be shocked I think the range in our put was 5 to 25 which means you know he could some teams could have him up there with Tua depending on the medicals and so on um and but I I just don't know and I think that that conversation with Waldman was really like a, a big moment of clarity for me like this is exactly right like I understand the NFL from following it long enough that chances are the team that takes Jordan Love is probably going to be unrealistic about what he can do. You mentioned Jalen Hurts from the fantasy standpoint. There's not a, a a Jackson or a Murray because what was really excited about exciting about Jackson and Murray is that you have the running ability, but combined with a lot of nuance and a lot of advanced ability as a passer. Um, and in Jackson's case, you saw that stair step growth from year to year, like what you didn't see from Jordan love. Um, and with Murray, you just saw, well, what is this guy going to be like when he starts concentrating on football? Oh my and you had the alignment with a coach who has been longing for him for his whole coaching career and wants to unlock all the potential of having a quarterback like him but you brought up Jalen Hurts i think Jalen Hurts is a good one to bring up in terms of surprising fantasy potential like think like Tyrod Taylor plus you know um and i do think nfl teams are more open now to using a quarterback as a runner by design you know there was that short resurgence like and then rg3 happened and i think teams got really afraid and you saw a little bit with late career Kaepernick, but that's exciting for fantasy. I think that that absolutely, you know, if Hertz lands, again, I'm gonna bring up Pittsburgh, right? If Hertz lands somewhere where there's not a quarterback in place for 2021, he could easily be the best guy in the room a year or two from now and will be an instant quarterback. Not on the Jackson and Murray level, but he's not gonna, he's gonna cost a fraction of what those guys cost.
2: Yeah, and you know, just to to kind of tie in one last point, I think that, you're right. I, I mean, I understand the limitations of, of Jordan Love, and I and I totally agree there are things to be skeptical of. And I also think there's a deeper story to Patrick Mahomes that I, I still think gets kind of glossed over, which is don't m- misunderstand how important Andy Reid was in this equation, sure. because unlocking a player who sees the field dramatically differently – a player who may be more on the move when they need to see the information kind of settle in and organize. Like my own son, for example, I I feel like he sees the world slightly vibrating at a low tone. So that's why, like, when he, (laughs) to see the world better, he's got to move around a lot. But when he's moving, the world's calm and he can see with clarity. I don't think that can be overstated. Andy Reid, I know for, I know pretty, pretty, at least from what I can understand and gather from, from information from others who have, real knowledge of this, Andy Reid very much lets Patrick Mahomes do what he does. He's very much like, here's the play. Don't worry about Reid's. Just whatever you see.
0: Right. And McNabb or Andy Reid was the coach that wanted to get Michael Vick out of prison. You
2: know, right. Right. So, I mean, like, the point is, is that, like, that is a unique kind of synergy all to itself. So if you're going to take Jordan Love, you really got to make sure that you have that type of expectation and understanding of who that player is in terms of their own unique movement you know footprint or thumbprint and who they are and i so i think that it depends where they go and 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 that's the cautionary tale and yet the exciting tale of the of the comp 2 a patrick mahomes
1: yeah. And I'll just say this and, and this would probably involve a little bit of a trade up. I, I, I do think that love offers some intriguing things and then, and warrants being a first round pick. I keep coming back to the Colts being the ideal landing spot. Yeah. Sit behind rivers for a year or two. They right now and, and probably for the foreseeable future have a really strong offensive line. He can, you know, he that would be the ideal spot. Frank Reich is, is known as a quarterback guru. He worked with Doug Peterson. Where did Doug Peterson come from to tie it all together? Andy Reid. So there, there's that
0: synergy and they let, there. They let Wentz play, right? That, like Carson Wentz would not be Carson Wentz in a highly structured system. The other thing that I want to add a little gasoline to your fire, there, Paul, because I think you're absolutely on the right trail. When Ian Rapport said number 25 team, you know, the NFL guys that throw out the stuff they uh, have are not throwing out random numbers or randomness the 25th pick is minnesota's second first round pick minnesota is not taking a quarterback that could be there's some intel out there that that's the pick to shoot for if you want to trade back into the first to get a quarterback absolutely and i think that is
1: something you know i i thought 13 was was going to be intriguing spot for jordan love but but Colts and you can't blame them to give that pick up to get the DeForest
0: Buckner but isn't that like if you can get a DeForest Buckner and you have the money to pay him why would you ever say no I see people criticizing that trade like this is a war daddy in his prime and they got money coming out of their pockets that's a great trade for the Colts it's a good trade for the 49ers it's a great trade for the Colts sorry absolutely no it is spot on I think I think people always seem to they,
1: people get very worrisome. I feel like when you got to trade and pay a guy, but some guys are worth it. Yeah. Some guys are worth it. As, far as Buckner. I don't know off the top of my head. So I'm guessing I can't imagine he's older than 24, 25. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, come on. What are we, what are we talking about right here? So Sig. This was a blast. Always, yeah. it's, it's always one of the quickest hours on the calendar for us. Please, again, thank you so much for coming on. I know, Matt and I look forward to this every single year. I'm sure most of our followers are following you, most of our listeners. But please let the audience uh, know where they can follow you. If you guys are working on anything specific, yeah. you want to, you know, promote a little bit, go at it.
0: Yeah, well, footballguys.com. It's still 100 football guys there, and you know, we've got our. The audible still going strong. Matt Waldman getting together every Thursday night, um, and we'll kind of open up for business again after the draft. That's the beginning of our heavy coverage. Although we've been doing a lot of free stuff all off season that you can check out. But you know, it's just this kind of conversation, football guys. And I know that you know, updating now like twenty years later, maybe we could have been football people or something. But it's just that we love this stuff. Um it's, it, you know, if our, when our brains grow on screensaver, it goes to some picture of football. And we love all of these theoretical problems and the, the, from the micro to the macro and they're always connected and it's always rippling up. It's always in motion. Um, and uh, I was doing a show yesterday just talking about how it could, because it's unknowable. That's what keeps us coming back because it's a puzzle that we can never solve. I'm reminded of those mathematicians that spend their whole lives working on some equation just to move the ball down the field a little bit more, even though they know they can never score a touchdown. So I think you all, uh, much like us, because you do work from the heart that is uh, – reflective of your values and where you're coming from, you've gathered an audience. If people are still listening to this right now, you know if you haven't heard of Football Guys. It's not just for fantasy. We just love... We just revel in swimming around the the world of football in our heads. And I'd love getting a chance to do with y'all. And I think that even... There is no fantasy football industry or football scouting. We'll continue to do this because we just enjoy each other's company. And we enjoy the stimulating nature of, you know, you've been watching this. I've been watching this. What are you seeing? What informed that? Or what, can you step back and, and tell me what your overall theory is about this? I mean, this is this stuff for me. I mean, this is like catnip.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Matt, final uh, parting thoughts on you? No, I think, I think Sigmund encapsulated everything that, I mean, you just kind of, basically explained the gravity that the 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 almost cosmic gravity that you created for me and paul as as people that were aspiring to get into the industry i mean at its philosophical and spiritual lens of this show i mean it's really that type of flavor and understanding of just talking about the things that light us up putting the passion first and putting the enjoyment of the game first so that way everybody can enjoy
1: Absolutely, uh, echo that again, Sig. Thank you so much. This this has been a blast. It, it truly is. It's a welcome distraction. I hope that's what everybody finds it. I can't believe the draft is so close now. It kind of snuck up on us. I think it's a little bit uh, a week earlier than almost usual. Free agency was a week later than usual, I think. And then with everything going on in our country, I, I feel like it's kind of you know even without all the pro days and and the information out there, it's kind of it's kind of snuck up a little bit quicker than usual. So it's been a welcome distraction as was this podcast. Guys, if you're enjoying what Matt and I are doing, please go over to the website, ssfootball.com. Check out the premium content tab. We've been putting out snippets of our Scouting Notebook on Twitter every single day. Uh, remember, for $9.99, you get access to all four notebooks, the Scouting Notebook and the Rankings Notebook immediately. The Scouting Notebook has a, about 120 profiles. About 95 of them are from guys in this year's draft class, plus another 20 to 25 on guys that did not end up declaring. You get the Rankings Notebook. It has all our rankings, our tiers, our draft rankings rankings, it'll have our Dynasty rookie rankings post-draft, and then still to come uh, later this week will be the release of the Draft Projections Notebook where I have tabs for every player, offense and defense, a snapshot of about 400 players and how they win in the order in which I expect it to go based on everything I'm hearing from the experts the beat writers, all kind of put together in one easy to understand document, and then the end of the month uh, Matt will be releasing the Freshman Notebook, which will give you intel on uh, many of the top incoming freshmen it is the best way to support the show. Uh, and for $9.99, we hopefully you consider purchasing it. So on behalf of Matt, on behalf of our special guests, Simeon Bloom and our sound and tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, thank you for joining us. And we look forward to next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.